Hip hop is the people, it is the community, it is helping one another, turning something that once was negative per se, being like, you had the charisma to be a gang leader and get people into your gang and terrorize the community, to use that charisma instead to bring people together to do positive things. You know, part sure. of building a scene is like going in and turning heads. Whether it's they're falling in love with you or like, what the fuck is this? And <laughs> you still need them to hear that because that's a new experience for them and that's, that's gonna make them rethink what they think about music. At the end of the day, you know, no one's coming to Nebraska looking for, you know, hip hop artists. That's just, a, you know, not a thing. So I feel as if, you know, once there is someone who, who you know, kind of breaks that ground, I feel like it's only right to pay it forward, you know, you know, help expose artists that we have out here because, you know, at the end of the day, that's, you know, we're all we got, so. Coming up, Keep Your Head Up, how to support and cultivate your local hip-hop community, a Lincoln Calling panel discussion. This is the Lincoln Calling podcast series presented by KZUM Radio in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each episode brings you the full recording of a different panel discussion held during the annual Lincoln Calling Festival in September of 2018. Find them at kzum.org, lincolncalling.com, and most places podcasts are available. We'll hear from innovators, activists, entrepreneurs, and more covering everything from road stories to making it in the music business, to inclusion, wellness, and a range of other topics. All recorded in front of live audiences during the 15th anniversary of the festival that brings emerging and established artists from around the world to stages in downtown Lincoln every fall. On this episode, Keep Your Head Up, a panel discussion on how to support and cultivate your local hip-hop community. Recorded in front of a live audience on September 21st at Bodega's Alley, panelists include Sleep Sinatra, Rhea Gold, Hakeem, M. Shaw, Cesar Comanche, and Alfred Banks. Who are the artists, both uh, musicians and maybe visual artists and maybe, you know, great speakers, thinkers uh, that have influenced you along the way on your hip-hop career? Let's start, let's start this way and go back the other way. Go ahead, Emshaw. Uh, all right, so in terms of inspiration for my music, uh, I'm, I'm mostly, I try to focus on being a lyricist, so a lot of the dudes that I really look up to and, and get inspired by are like uh, super lyrical dudes, mostly from like New York. Uh, I really mess with like Big Pun and Big L, Nas and Jay-Z. Um, in terms of like, where I'm from, uh, I really like Snoop Dogg. I think he's got a crazy flow, and he's just one of my favorite artists. But yeah, I, I mostly focus on the more lyrical rappers to kind of draw inspiration from. Hmm. Now you said visual artists and... Uh... Yeah, I wanna, okay. I wanna, you know, not just music, I guess. Hip hop, for me, you know, yeah. revolves around not only the music, but the DJ, the dance, the graffiti, you Most know, the culture, the culture has so much to it. So if you've got influences that are more uh, on the visual or the dancing, you know, please, please let me know. Okay, um, let's see, as far as like musical inspirations, 
growing up in Nebraska, you know, like we we hear everything from all the coasts. So I really my my inspirations musically stem from anywhere from like Andre 3000, Old Outkast, um, to Jedi Mind Tricks. You know what I'm saying to Wu-Tang Clan and their affiliates to Planet Asia, um, just real underground, obscure. Uh, I mean, maybe obscure to like the average listener, but real underground, um, purist, I guess you could say, influences. Visually, oh man, oh, there's a graffiti artist by the name of Grominator from NY that is like, he's crazy, his, his characters are crazy. Uh, there's a graffiti artist by the name of Dusk that is highly influential to me. Uh, a, new, a new visual artist that I've really been messing with lately um, goes by Katsu Bot, and he uh, does graffiti with drones. He like does drone paintings, which is just wild to me. Uh, so yeah, 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 that's pretty bugged out, I thought. But yeah, man, um, those are my, probably my biggest influences. Nice, nice. Um. I would say some of my biggest influences, um, I, pull in for, I pull inspiration from so many things. Uh, being in Nebraska, I mean, you can find beauty in anything. Um, so I guess I don't necessarily put all my inspiration in people. I put inspiration in my surroundings and what I see on a day-to-day -day life. And that's what I you know, reincorporate and put into my music, into my brand, into my label. Um, yeah, I just, I guess I don't put too much, you know, not, not, not to say faith, but I don't put too much into people. I put things in life, you know, so I just try to pull and recreate from what I see and what I experience. Um, when it comes to my influences, uh, I'm going to go with Tupac, uh, Nas, uh, Biggie, you know. Uh, newer, J. Cole, Kendrick Lamar, uh, Saada Prince, those are some of my favorite artists. Um, wow, it was loud. Uh, as it pertains to inspirations uh, from music, um, Lupe Fiasco, who just dropped a new album, you guys should go listen to it. Um, uh, Charles Hamilton, he's a, he's a big, big influence of mine. He's, one of my, he's literally my favorite rapper ever. Um, MF Doom, uh, MF Doom, those are like my top three favorite rappers. A couple other guys like, like Mickey Fax, he's super dope. Uh, those guys, uh, from a visual standpoint, Keith Haring is my favorite visual yes. artist of all yes. time. Shouts to Keith, uh, uh, right quick. Keith I, is like super big, like I'm huge. <laughs> I got like blankets and everything, I love Keith. Um, visual. Um, yeah, Andy Warhol as well. Warhol and Keith are like my two favorite like visual guys. I rock with them tough. Um, that's kind of where I, I pull a lot of my, my inspiration from, um, you know, from a, from a music standpoint, visual type of deal. So, yeah, that, that'd be my answer. <laughs> Hell yeah. My wife has a Keith Haring tattoo. <laughs> All right, let's see. So, we got Kenny Loggins. Influence of mine. Um, Danger Zone. That's right. That's right. Uh, David Axelrod, uh, most of his 60s stuff. Um, Tina Turner, actually, is a big uh, influence over me. Um, because it's like I, I approach rap music 
from a song standpoint. That's just how I approach it. Like, I just believe who makes good songs and good albums, and then people who do that in rap, for example, to me, like, you know, we got earlier Ice Cube, um, Redman's earlier albums, an album that is like a movie from beginning to end and has a concept and a feel because if you make music with that good, and that doesn't mean subject concept, like it could be anything, even a sonic concept, that that music will resonate with people and it will stay with them forever. You know, you can listen to something 10 years later and like it more than you did the first few years you listened to it. So, um, and my biggest influence as far as uh, hip hop culture and rap music is my older sister, Missy. She's the one who taught me everything. And like, she brought me into the fold uh, like the end of the 70s, like 79, 80. She had me listening to stuff. She had me listening to craft work and stuff from overseas. And I don't know how she got it because we're, we're from a small town in North Carolina called Jacksonville, North Carolina. So how she was turned on to it, I'm not 100% sure, but she just was and she just brought me into that world and it was so magical to me. And the thing I liked about hip hop culture so much back then was how renegade the culture is because it didn't want to belong to any type of status quo thing. It was just, this is what we do, this is who we are. Like, you know, breaking, people were getting arrested for breaking. People still are getting arrested for graffiti arts, you know what I'm saying? Things like that, the renegadeness of it and is what made me love it more than anything else. I love that, I love that answer. Jumping on that renegade culture, you know, part of, I think, building a hip hop scene, building a culture is kind of having that renegade scene like you talk. Um, what, what are some of the, the parties that you've thrown or the events that you've done that you feel were really great and really like both changed yourself and changed your, your culture that you have in your cities? And what event did you do where it just completely crashed and bombed? And, and how did you get back up and, and go back to work after you just played for two people? So, so tell me about those shows that you helped put on or that you performed at that changed you, but also changed your, your scene or your crew? Um, and then tell me about the complete worst time, the, the bomb. Cool? Jump in. You seem like you got a good... Yeah, I can, <laughs> I can attest to terrible shows. I'm just, yeah. um, first show I did that I headlined, uh, it was my birthday, July 17, 2012. The venue was about as half the size of this, and I think I had maybe nine people come out. And it broke my heart because at that time, you know, I maybe I didn't have that many followers, but I just felt like if I promote, if I tweet and Facebook post this a lot, people are just going to come because they know me and because I rap. Right. And uh, I did the show and I remember 12 people came out because the opener brought 12 people. And then when he left, the crowd was like four people. And one of the four people like booed me. He was like kind of heckling me on stage. And we, we just don't do that. So we threw a, a Wu-Tang beat on and I tore his ass. Um, but uh, so I was already like super frustrated. So, but that show let me know. I was like, you know what? 
I'm not going to do any more headlining shows until I know for sure that I have a draw. And so you flash forward uh, about, uh, that's 2012, so you flash forward about five years. Uh, I, I dropped the album last year uh, called The Beautiful, and the album release party, we almost sold out the venue. It was like about this size. We had about like 200, about 175 people come out on my name, and I hadn't done a headlining show in five years, and so that was my first time I really knew that I had a draw. So that kind of changed my energy. I was like, all right, cool. Now I, got, I finally accomplished that so I can... Uh, go around, but there was this one show that had nothing to do with me. There's this, there's this studio brand in New Orleans called uh, Inner Recess. They still exist, but they're not as big as they once were. But they used to, they used to have a, a studio uh, in the CBD, which is the Central Business District of New Orleans, and they would throw a monthly party. It was just a mixer. You just come through, vibe out, let's just network. And they started, they started doing it in 2011, and that was the first time I found out there was a, like an actual community of hip hop in New Orleans. Um, and they went on for maybe about three years until the, they moved from that building. But every, every month, man, you would have people coming through and showing love. And then we'd have a couple famous people come through. Uh, I remember Solange came through one time, which was kind of live. Uh, you know what I mean? Obviously, Currency, he, would, he came through a couple times. So um, that, that like, level of community, we haven't had that since. Once that party stopped, that level of community, because now there's more like a newer generation of guys doing music. Uh, that isn't so like like classic type hip hop type of vibe. So it's like a more of a like turn up kind of vibe. So they they have a community, but the guys that were in the community when I first came in, they're grown now. They maybe have kids. They maybe stepped away from the mic, so they don't do it as much or if at all. So like that level of community is gone. So I just always go back to like 2011 to 2014 when it was just live. We would we had something to do where the hip hop guys could go and do their thing. So yeah. Um, yeah, so I have uh, some examples. Um, my first uh, real big show that uh, happened uh, took place uh, when I had, uh, came back from being uh, out of the country, and I hadn't released a project in like two years. So, um, you know, I got back and we rented out the bourbon, and uh, first time, first show ever through, sold out the bourbon, and it was, you know, probably the best film I ever felt. Um, but a real, a real horrible time was the time um, I threw, I threw another show, and it was like snowing out, really horrible, and like the worst time ever. Like I had a whole bunch of people, you know, ready to go, and and the blizzard just kind of killed that. So I, I learned a lesson. I'm never throwing a show, you know, in the in the middle of winter ever again. So I probably won't do that anymore. But you know, it's just it's a good feeling, man. You know, uh, just being a part of the the hip hop community, you know, and being able to, you know, kind of. I guess, you know, create a path for, you know, artists that come after us because, you know, eventually, you know, there's still little kids right now that are looking up to us right now, listening, and, you know, they'll be able to be like, hey, you know, one day I stepped up there and, you know, these were my influences, you know what I'm saying? So, that's that. Go for it, Hakeem. Um, I mean, out of all the shows, you know, that I performed at, um, I've got to feel both sides of, you know, the ups and the downs, sold out shows and the shows with one person. Um, you know, through the courses, I learned to enjoy the downs more. Um, feeling the highs of, you know, when everybody's there is good, but I learned to enjoy the downs more because after you're done, I don't know, you just get a sense of, I want more, I can do better. It's more constructive. 
Um, and I learned to really hone that and, you know, perfect my craft off of those downs. So I learned to, you know, enjoy those more because I know the more you enjoy those and the more you construct yourself and build yourself off of those, when you finally get to those peaks that you know that you're going to get at and they know that you, will, that you deserve, they're much more rewarding. So um, those have been my experiences with shows. Yeah, I think you made a great point uh, in being able to acknowledge taking away from the, from the, the bad shows. Uh, see, in my experience, uh, the most memorable shows to me have always been the ones that have left a big impact on both myself and I feel like the environment around me, the people that came. Uh, maybe not necessarily the largest crowds, but for example, uh, the good gospels that we hosted when we were still at church. It was just a different type of vibe. It was a more intimate setting. It was very artistic. Um, it, was, it was close. It was a close space. Uh, but the camaraderie that was gained there, you know, I've seen numerous musical relationships and like even literal relationships be formed through the community that was gained. Um, so, you know, the second, the second good gospel was probably one of the best. Uh, Another one also, which probably was the craziest show that I've ever done. There used to be a record store down here. Um, the name escapes me. It's, yeah, Black, Black Circle, Black Circle. So we did a show on the rooftop of Black Circle. And uh, midway through that, you know, it started pouring and there was like lightning crackling all over the place. And But Cat still wanted to rhyme though. We was gonna shut it down, Cat still wanted to rhyme. So we was like, all right, we're gonna, Push this a little bit longer. I'm not trying to have anybody get electrocuted or anything. You know what I'm saying? And eventually the rain, the rain shut us out and we're running down the stairs with turntables and trying to break everything down. But it was, it was an amazing time, man. It was very memorable. Um, it's just certain, certain memories like that, you know, get embedded in your head and really makes the hardships of trying to build a community up worth it. Um, as far as like, you know, my worst shows, there was a point in time prior to establishing what Good Gospel is now to where I was really kind of trying to figure out how to organize my own lineups and, you know, uh, you just run into misfires like that, man. Um, I can't really name one specifically because there was a lot of those, but they, like, like how Kim had mentioned, it's important to have those shows to not only you know humble yourself but to be able to analyze what you're doing and how you can come with a more successful strategy oh oh go ahead go for it okay um i wouldn't say it's the best show but it was a show that was a testament to that i was actually working with something uh i was hired to do a short performance might have been like 10 or so minutes in between a uh, double header for the uh, San Francisco Giants. And it's like they had like a um, venue like right by Pac Bell Park. That's what it's called at the time anyway. But um, so I'm hype about it because I'm like, OK, I'm on the West Coast uh, about to do in, in this crazy situation for a rap situation. So when I walk in the spot, I'm looking around and I'm like, none of these people give two shits about rap music. And that's when I started feeling like, 
I'm about to damn bomb. Like, this is about to be bad. Because they had a jam band up there playing. People, you know, drinking drinks. We're talking about the, the, the demographic had to be 98% white folks between the ages of 40-something and like 60. And I'm looking around, the band, and I mean, it's, you know, this happens. I'm looking at the band, they're white, and I'm looking at like, yo, like this is about to be bad. So I go up, and then they're like, they told me to jam with the band a little bit. So I'm jam, I'm trying to jam with them. And they're like, look, come on, little rap dude, get, <laughs> get the fuck off the stage. Like, I'm dead ass serious. They wasn't trying to fuck with me at all. So I was just like, all right, so I, you know, it was show CD era, so I had my show CD ready, put it in, performed, and like the whole crowd went from, you know, just mingling and doing things and being background music. Everybody came to the stage and was wilding out with me. And I was like, yo, I like, I actually won in this situation. So that showed me that I, I was, this was still early in my career and I was working with something. Now, the worst show I ever did, see, I don't really gauge how I feel about shows, about how many people come, it's how the people react to me, you know what I'm saying? So, the worst show was when I did a show in my hometown. <laughs> and at this point, I had already been like doing, touring overseas and all across the country and doing all these things, and then I'm like, okay, so the, it was a party, and for some reason they wanted me to come just perform at the beginning. So I go up, do my thing, and I'm paying attention, and you know how you're, you're reading the crowd. And like, the place was packed. It had to be at least 800 people there. They weren't there to see me, but it was 800 people there. And um, I would say easily, 85% was not paying me no fucking attention. None. They was just like, yeah, word up. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I'm going like, and then I'm just going hard, doing my thing. So I'm now performing just for those little front of people that's over here. And, um, and then the DJ, which was my own cousin, pulled me to the side. I was like, yeah, yeah, we about to wrap it up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we gonna get on with the party. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, damn. So then my best friend was out there and he was telling me like, yo, um, the sound people didn't even turn your PA on. You were rapping to the fucking wedges. So to me, I'm thinking it sounds fine. I had no idea these people are up there looking at me like doing some damn mom art on the damn stage and shit. I'm like, oh my God. So. Yeah, it was in front of people I went to school with and everything, but yeah, I, I bombed bad. It was, it was terrible. <laughs> Shy, you got something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so just to touch on like best and worst shows and stuff, uh, my man Stefan and I, uh, when, we first moved, when I first moved out here, uh, we tried to do uh, like a Four Pillars of Hip Hop show where we try to showcase the MCs, graffiti, breakdancing, and... Uh, be, uh, say what? DJ. Oh, yeah, yeah, DJing, of course. I wasn't sure what somebody said over there. 
Um, but yeah, we had some break dancers come through. We had some live art. We had uh, DJs do a set and had some MCs come through. And it was really cool because it was the first show we ever put on uh, on our own. And it was at the front room of the Bourbon. And for like three or four weekends before leading up to the show, uh, we'd be downtown passing out flyers to random people, you know, kicking freestyle bars and shit. Just being like, hey, you guys like rap? Come through. Like, let me kick you some bars. Come through. And it was really cool to see just like we had maybe 60, 70 people or something come through. And it was really cool to just have all these people come that we didn't even know. Um, that felt really cool. But then last year uh, during the summer, uh, I'm friends with D. Wayne, who does, uh, I think he's with KFRX. Yep. And um, he was going to do some sort of performance at the state fair. And so he was like, hey, dude, like, I'm going to do some beatbox shit. Like, do you want to come and kick some verses? And I was like, yeah, for sure. This the state fair? Fuck yeah. So we get out there, and we had no idea what it was. Turned out it was a pep rally for UNL. And it was, I thought, you know, at the state fair, they got all these performing, you know, artists, musicians and shit on the big stages. It wasn't on a stage. It was, I mean, there was like a little stage, but it was like under a pop-up tent. And the entire crowd there was like that crowd that Cesar was talking about, like 45 to 60 year old range, like grandparents and shit. And all, all white folks from like Grand Island and that whole area. So, you know, they're, they're kind of feeling the beatbox stuff. And on the stage, it was a whole bunch of, like, the UNL cheerleaders. So they were kind of, like, doing background dancing stuff while he was beatboxing. And then I went up there, and I kicked some bars. And, like, you could just tell, like, everybody's like, what the fuck is this? Like, all these old-ass white people are like... Yeah, exactly, bro. Like, it was just kind of like, all right, cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick these two verses, and then I'm going to say peace out and get the fuck out of here. But yeah, it was, it was definitely kind of an awkward experience just to be like seeing all these people looking up at me like, what the fuck are you doing here, dude? Like, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you learn from the experiences and he's still got to gotta push those buttons and, you know, it's, it's awkward for you, but it's yeah. also awkward for them. And I think, you know, part sure. of building a scene is like going in and turning heads, whether it's they're falling in love with you or like, what the fuck is this? And <laughs> You still need them to hear that because that's a new experience for them and that's, that's going to make them rethink what they think about music. And so, you know, getting on our, our topic of how to build this hip-hop culture, I want to I wanna hear about what it is outside of music. What's the work that you've put in outside of music, whether it's building a brand, building a, a clothing line, having maybe a music label, having a crew, um, and... What are some things that you've done to put in work outside of maybe the studio or, you know, off the stage to lift up your community or lift up hip-hop uh, around you? Uh, I think one of the most important parts is being, like, visible. Um, as much as as much as humanly possible, I think um, <clears throat> when you're doing, because no matter what genre you do, when you first start out, you're underground. <laughs> so it's just all about being seen and becoming a reputable name. That at least in the genre you do, when people think of it, they think of you. You know what I mean? Uh, you may not be a household name even in your hometown, but when people 
go, okay, I have this artist coming through the city, who should I have open? Uh, well, I know homie, and then you're the first person they think of. So visibility, I think, is very important because when you have visibility, then you become somewhat reputable. Uh, you know what I mean? In some instances, obviously, sometimes that disconnect of whether you're good or not can kind of break, make or break the situation. But if you're at least visible, you'll be given the opportunity. And if you're a great representation of you know, hip hop or whatever the case may be or whatever scene you're trying to build, um, when you get that opportunity, you, every time you get an opportunity like that, you're, you're, you're setting the foundation, you're, building, you're, you're, you're putting down the bricks to kind of make that happen. And like I can say from personal experience, I'm from New Orleans, like there's no hip hop in New Orleans. You would think because of like no limited cash money, but no, uh, I can tell you straight up, like the festivals that have been going on in my city, I've been the only hip hop representation. Uh, right now is the tricentennial of New Orleans, the 300th year. We had a bless you. Uh, we had a festival called uh, French Quarter Fest. Bless you again. Uh, we had uh, the French Quarter Fest, and uh, there was 300, the 300 year New Orleans, so it was 300 acts. Take a wild guess how many hip hop acts they booked. One. I was the only hip hop act. Now, every city in America has at least a thousand rappers per block. <laughs> There's no reason why it should be one. So, but with that said, because I was given that opportunity, I didn't get to perform because it was a, a hurricane came through, but if I, you know, given that opportunity, um, I could represent my scene and go, yo, there's more of me. So if you like what I do, check out these fly guys and gals as well. So being visible, I think, is one of the most important things as it pertains to trying to build a scene. Uh, yeah. Word. Uh, yeah, just touch on that uh, visibility thing. Like uh, one of the main things I did when I moved out here uh, outside of music for myself was try to catch as many local artists doing sets as much as possible, uh, and which is something I still do um, because, like, even before I had a show, uh, I had met Sleep and Hakeem and I think Kenny before I had ever had a show here just because I was going to shows that I knew locals were opening up at and, like, you gotta go, shake hands, meet people, let them know who you are, let them know what you're trying to do, and... That's still like something I do all the time. Whenever I get a chance, I try to go any, if there's a local curated show, like the main person putting it on is one of these local MCs, I make my best effort to come out. Or if they're opening up for a show, I try to come out and show love by merch and shit from the other homies, just to show love and support and really let them know that I'm here to support the scene and you know I'm trying to just contribute. Um, so uh, outside of music, I uh, created my, uh, a team my bros were called Small City. Um, it wasn't necessarily really anything at first. You know, I just wanted to um, create a platform for you know, me and my friends to just you know, make music. We were all making our own kind of music, but we were essentially doing the same thing. And I just you know, figured we'd all come together you know, and, and create one purpose. Um, a lot of um, you know, the guys that I met around here, you know, like he said, um, I feel like that's what it, not should be about, but I mean, at the end of the day, you know, no one's coming to Nebraska looking for, you know, hip hop artists. That's just, a, you know, not a thing. So I feel as if, you know, once there is someone who, who you know, kind of breaks that ground, you know, I feel like it's only right to pay it forward, you know, you know, help expose artists that we have out here because, you know, at the end of the day, that's, you know, we're all we got, so. Well, outside of actually being a um, recording artist, I try my best to connect 
other people from different regions. So basically, you know, there's like-minded, you know, uh, individuals who for years and years and years I was touring pretty much by myself or like with somebody else of equal brand level to me. But um, what I started doing was thinking that, you know, there's people everywhere that just maybe don't know. And they're ready, like, as far as professional-wise and quality of their art-wise to uh, hit the road. But they just don't know what that first step is. So I've been helping people get plugged into that and learn how to tour and do things like that. And the biggest thing, and I know some people in the beginning were saying I was crazy for doing this, is what I was teaching people to do it and not need me at all. You know, because that's the thing. Like, a lot of people will show you how to do something when they, you have to, you know what I'm saying, they are, stay the middleman or middle person. But I teach people to try to be direct with whoever they need to talk to and figure out what they want to do. Um, and then um, my organization, the Black Jedi Zulu, we got a... Um, Cranston Hargrove um, scholarship where we send one uh, deserving high school student uh, to school who normally wouldn't be able to you know, afford such things. Uh, we do that and then we do things like Christmas uh, you know, uh, toy drives, food drives, clothing drives and you keep doing that because um, hip hop culture is supposed to be about the community and I feel like the worst thing that happened was rap music and hip hop being used interchangeably. And that changed the understanding and the definition of people who got into it like later the, to, to think that rap music is what hip hop is and it's not. It's hip hop is the people, it is the community, it is helping one another, it is turning something that once was negative per se, being like, you had the charisma to be a gang leader and get people into your gang and terrorize the community, to use that charisma instead to bring people together to do positive things, you know? And that's, I feel, if you consider yourself a hip hopper and it doesn't matter what you do, if you're somebody that is doing positive things for people and uh, you love the culture, then that's, you know, what us outside of music, you know what I'm saying, should be focused on. Word. Um, yeah, man, I think that, you know, a sense of camaraderie is needed. Uh, as far as like what I've done to help establish a sense of community outside of music, uh, you know, I just really try to, as, you know, my, my colleagues have said, um, just connect with people, um, not even necessarily artists of the same, like not even just MCs. Um, a lot of my homies do photography and I try to give them opportunities to where they can, you know, build up a portfolio or if there's visual artists, we try to incorporate visual art into the good gospel shows that I host. Um, just, you know, once you get into that position to have any type of platform, being able to give other artists uh, the same thing, being able to reciprocate that is really important, I think, and it shows that, you know, you have, uh, you have, you're invested in the community more so than just sonically, 
You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, man. Yeah. Um, I say outside of music, all in all, um, well, I'm gonna just strip away music, rap, hip hop. I'm gonna strip away all that because I look at myself something more than just being a hip hop artist. Because you know, I hold myself accountable to so many things. You know, having you know two kids. Um, all in all, my goal at the end of the day is to show people what you can do from nothing and build on top of that and create a foundation to do something you know greater in life. Um, I like to see myself using music as a gateway to so many other things that I want to do later in life. But you know, for now, I like to show kids what you can do. Um, you know, myself starting a record label and building the artists on my team also becoming the engineer for the artists on my team because I believe in them like they believe in me. So, you know, just doing stuff like that because I know the fan base that I have, you know, they're, you know, they looking at me and I always try to hold myself to the highest standards I can. So I like to say, if I can't change the world, I'll spark, you know, the mind of a kid who will. So, you know, I like to, you know, just look at myself other than just a hip hop artist, you know, more on, just the bigger picture as a human, you know, you know, we can do so much more. So that's how I look at it. Uh, Spence had to go, uh, go put out some fires. He just went and got pulled away. So I'll, I'll be taking over as the moderator for the rest of the, uh, uh, for the, rest of the panel. All right. What's up? <laughs> hey. Um, next question I guess I have for you guys is uh, I've watched all your guys' careers, uh, I would say with a pretty close eye to detail, and I'd say so far all you individually have had really good success. Even still, though, there's been a lot of stumbling blocks and roadblocks that have popped up along the way, I'm sure, individually for you guys. If, if, you, could give you, if you could give yourself, I don't know, two, three, four, five years in the past or whenever you really started getting into the craft, what would be some advice you would give a younger yourself? Um, staying persistent. Uh, there's been mad times, mad times. Like, like I said, I've been doing this since I was 16, 17, with, been within this, the local circuit performing at venues since then. There's been mad times where, especially those rough nights where you have five, six people in the crowd, you know what I'm saying, or uh, whatever bad situation might be, that I really doubted both my ability to perform at the level that I saw myself performing at and the ability to actually integrate some type of community here. Um, but you know, yeah, man, I would just, if I could go back and tell myself anything, it would be to remain vigilant and uh, stay persistent, man, because it, it pays off and I've, I've seen it pay off. Uh, I'll go. Um, like five, I would say about five years ago, is like 2013. If I could go back, I would tell myself, dude, chill the fuck out. Like, don't worry, you know? Cause I, uh, I come from eh, like a, what, what, what fueled me in the beginning was a level of desperation, right? Cause I was like homeless uh, when I was in college. And so I was homeless for like a month and a half, maybe two months type deal. And so for me, I wasn't doing a lot of, well, actually my GPA was like a 0.6 because I was doing so many shows. I just wasn't even really worried about school because I was trying to do shows to like get money to like eat food and shit. But my whole situation was kind of like, 
if I don't do this right now, it'll never get done and I'll die. Like, met, uh, metaphorically and literally in a sense. So uh, I was just gung-ho, but like to the 100th degree. Like I had no chill. Like I battle niggas in church. Like whatever it was, like if, <laughs> if we was in Family Dollar, we was in line and like I heard you rap, I just run up, yo, I got bars, fam, you know, type deal. Um, it, it, was a, it was like, yo, yo, I get it, but just chill. Like it'll... It'll come around. Like I know you, you. I know things aren't great right now, but just give yourself a little while. The passion is there. Just, just chill. Um, and I think maybe in the past three years, eh, I'll be real. In the last like eight months, I've learned to chill. Um, you know, even having like a manager. I just got my my first real manager like a year ago, and uh, she's very successful. There's a group called Tank and the Bangers that you guys either heard of or you may have heard. I have the same manager as them. My girl Tavia. And, you know, seeing their success makes me go, ooh, I want that for me too. And she'd be like, chill, I got you, just calm down. And so I've had to learn to just like, I hate to just be so redundant, but just chill the fuck out. Um, so um, learning to manage my passion, I think, has, was the biggest roadblock uh, because I just want it so bad. And I still do. Um, I think when someone finds something, whether it's music or if you're a visual artist or if you're literally a garbage person, if you just want to be the best person, uh, and by the way, garbage people make like, like 50, 60 a year, and they got benefits, so it's a great job, so it's no diss to them. It's just saying, like, whatever you do, you know, you're just very passionate about it, you'll do anything to make it happen. And I think, you know, sometimes that passion can get in the way of, uh, you know, logic, in a sense, because you run off of energy and adrenaline. So for me, the biggest thing was just learning to curb my enthusiasm. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, the thing that I would go back and tell myself would be to truly understand that everybody is built differently. And the reason I'm saying that is because when you extend a hand or you champion somebody else or you go to somebody else's show and things like that, when I would see that same person not champion me and not come to my show, it would deeply hurt me, like deeply. You know, of course, you don't show it on the outside, you always act like everything's all good, but it hurts, you know what I'm saying? And years and years of doing that and thinking that like, yo, I, my, you know, I've been pushing and championing and doing this and that, you know, to, 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 to big up my brother or sister, and they don't do that back to me, I had to understand that that's just not how they're built, you know? So I had to learn, it took some years, but I had to learn to get to know exactly who somebody was and not project my own way of doing things on other people and then being disappointed for their shortcomings of not doing what I do. Yeah, because that, that type of thing can make you go crazy. If you let it get in there and start rolling around, it just grows and grows and grows and grows and years of resentment can build from that. So like, that's the biggest thing that I would have saved myself from younger. You wanna go ahead? Um, so you said what five years ago? Is that what you said? So I mean, if I, you know, if I remember correctly, it was been around the time I had dropped my first like real successful mixtape, and 
I really didn't know what I was doing. You know, I, I, you know, I kind of just figured, all right, I'm going to drop this and I'm going to get famous. I thought that's how it was going to work. Well, definitely didn't work out like that. <laughs> but, you know, one thing that I would tell myself that I ended up eventually learning was, it does, you know, your music is just like 10% of the process. You know, you, you, you create the music, but you still have to, you know, market yourself. You still got to promote. You still got to, you got to do things that set yourself aside from looking like everyone else. Because, like he said earlier, you know, there's like a thousand people who want to rap. But, you know, it, it's different when you have accolades to have behind that. Like, yo, I did this. Or, you know, on top of that project, I have this one. And also, it, you know, sold this much. So, like, I would just tell myself, you know, focus more on the business. Because that, in the long run, is what's going to set you aside from your peers. So. Yeah, for me, I would probably tell myself just to be patient. Because... Overall, I'm a pretty impatient person in general, and I know, like, especially when I was younger and really starting to take the rap shit more serious, it was just kind of a lot of frustration and just not seeing uh, outcomes as quickly as I'd like. Um, so I'd probably just tell myself, you know, be patient. Like Sleep said, perseverance is a big part, and you just got to focus and keep it moving. And if things don't work out, uh, they'll keep working at it so that they do in the future um, if I could go back and tell myself one thing um, and it's something that I've been learning along the way um, I would have told myself to listen to myself more um, I had intuition of what I wanted to do in life but unfortunately it didn't take you know it took a close friend dying for me to realize that I need to live for myself. And so I would have I just told myself, be confident and listen to myself and do what I want to do because at the end of the day, um, you know, nobody's going to live my life for me. So I got to live it for myself and do the best for myself and my family and the people who love me dearly. So I just would have told myself to live for myself. So, yeah. Hip-hop has this really interesting dichotomy to me that there's this beautiful collaboration aspect to it where you see people getting on features and people supporting the scenes and stuff. But also, much like any other uh, music genre, there can be egos that come in check and you know, it can definitely be exploited a little bit more on the hip-hop side where you see guys getting into beefs or having frictions and stuff like that. When you guys have ever run into any type of static with somebody else, what ways do you guys try to smoothen it out or try to address situations to make sure that you're helping out the overall hip-hop community of your scene and making sure everybody's on the same page? Could you repeat the question, please? <laughs> Kenny, when you run into beef and someone doesn't like your music, like another uh, person who goes and makes music or someone who's in the scene, what do you do to address that? Do you try to smoothen it out? I mean, so musically... If I've ever had, you know, any type of, I guess, beef with anyone, like, I know, I don't really mess with, you know what I mean, a whole lot of people, you know what I'm saying? So, like, there's really, like, at the end of whatever it is, like, there's not really nothing that needs to be said, I guess. I mean, I don't know, I, like, that was a long-ass question, so I kind of remember part of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I just, you know. Do my own thing, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so my answer will be kind of two parts. It won't be long, I promise. Uh, from a hip hop standpoint, so I remember in college I had beef 
rap beef with a guy. Uh, he doesn't even rap anymore, which is great. Super great. Uh, but uh, nah, we, we had beef. It, it was like somewhat personal, but it was more just like frustration. Like, yo, you like not better than me. Yo, fam, you not nicer than me. Like, you not. And it was so hip hop that uh, I went to Loyola University in New Orleans, and it was so hip hop right in front of the library. We just had a rap battle, freestyle battle. He had dropped a record on me. And so I got to the battle thinking we're going to go off the top, and then he spits the verse from the song. I'm like, oh, no, we're not doing that. So I kicked the freestyle just off the top, just kind of like ragging on him, and, and I kind of won that joint. So when it comes to music, like, I'm like 100% about that life. Like, if you try and like kick these, let me get my hip-hop voice. If you try and kick these bars, my dude, I got you, fam, straight up. You hear me? But uh, as it pertains to, like, um, personal... Um, yeah, personal beef, I actually have somewhat of experience with that. I mean, that show that I mentioned earlier that I almost sold out, I had a dude pull a gun on me, like, at the show uh, because of Twitter, because social media is the most important thing in the world and it can get you killed. Uh, so I remember, you know, he did something crazy to a young lady that I know in the music scene, and I, you know, was like, I kind of spoke out about it, and... He was just like, yo, I know you got a show coming up, so I'm gonna come holler at you. And I was like, all right, let's do it. He gave me the choice between giving him my address at that point, so he and his seven friends could come beat me up, or they can come to the show and shut the show down. So I was like, all right, I'll see you at the show, because I'll just try to avoid this ass whooping as much as I can. And we get to the show. Uh, I'm about to go on, or I'll say, I just fast forward. I do the set, I get off stage. We already had somewhat of a confrontation. Um, but we settled it, and after I get off stage to go get the, mute, the money to settle with the booker, homie runs up on me with his setup. So I'm like, oh, we about to scrap it is what it is. His homeboy runs up and says, yo, my man's just going to punch you in the face a lot, and if you throw any punches back, I'm a, I got this for you. And I was like, so I'm just going to stand here and get punched in the face, or I'll get shot. I'll just take my chances getting shot, Could we not, you know what I mean? So... That type of thing, the hip hop community came together to help me. Uh, a lot of my OGs, like True Universal and uh, one of the more popular comedians, my man uh, Mark Caesar, those cats jumped in front, my man. Like, nah, they like yanked the, like, I wanted to sound crazy dramatic like a movie, but it kind of was. They like yanked the gun out of his hand, like, yo, you're not about to shoot Banks. Like, he's one of the few guys that's like gonna make it. Nah, you're not doing that. So the community actually came together and helped me out in that situation because I was ready to fight, I wasn't ready to get shot. You know what I'm saying? So they, they came like four or five guys that they put their life on the line for me. This happened like a year and a half ago. Um, so, it, you know, that let me know. I was like, yo, these people love me outside of music. They're willing to put their life on the line because they saw me when I first came up, when I was the homeless kid skateboarding to the shows. So they saw me from that point to where I'm at now. So the fact that they're willing to put their life on the line for me, it, it gave me another level of respect for them that I'll never forget. So uh, when it comes to rap, we got bars. When it comes to real life, I got I got people. I guess so. Work. Um. Yeah. To to tie into that, definitely. Like, you know, I consider myself an MC. So if it's like you know, an artistic qualm, like you said, like somebody feel like they nicer, then yeah, we we could battle. You know what I'm saying? Like I grew up freestyling, and you know what I'm saying, lunchroom battles and jail battles and all that, like I'm accustomed to that. So, and I feel like that's, a, that's its own separate facet in hip hop as well. Like the battle scene is its own subculture within hip hop. Um, there's cats that battle that don't make music. Like they just, you know what I'm saying? Just 
pen for their, strictly for their opponent. So, you know, I definitely respect that aspect of the culture and I'm with that to the fullest extent. Um, as far as like, you know, personal confrontations with people, as far as being like an artist and, you know, something personal stemming from the scene or any of that, I try to approach things as business-like as possible with a, as much of a business mind as possible. And I feel like that's, especially being in such a small, tight-knit community in Lincoln, beefing, beefing with people in the same community, especially on some other stuff, is detrimental to what you both got going on. You know what I'm saying? So I would much rather find a solution and we could get money together or we can get, you know what I mean? We can organize together as opposed to bumping heads. Um, you know, it's just more beneficial for smaller scenes to not have so much friction in between people because we need we need those numbers, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I think like what Kenny was saying earlier, you know, whoever bubbles up over the top and makes it to that upper echelon or whatever, you know, it's, you have a duty to try to bring in the other people that, that came up around you. And you know, that can't happen if there's friction going on because then people become egotistical and there's all types of ulterior motives, man. So, you know, if it's rap, then it's rap. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's what it is. And I feel like if you feel you're proficient in that, then you shouldn't have a problem being challenged with your skill set. You know what I'm saying? Like, it should be something that uh, that you welcome. Because, you know, if you barring up against people anyway, you're getting you're gaining equal promotion. Like, oh, for example, the, M the Eminem and the MGK thing that's going on. You know what I'm saying? Nobody was really talking about either of those cats until they started dissing each other, you know what I mean? Uh, prime example, so yeah, when it, if, it's, if it's bars, it's bars, but if it's something other than me personally, I feel like we can always try to come to some type of mutual understanding to keep the momentum going rather than, than halt something. I feel that. Um, for me, uh, generally, I'm pretty emotional, so I know that if I get sucked into some kind of drama or some shit, I'm gonna get worked up, and it's just not a good look, and it's not a good feeling. So in general, I try to avoid all that kind of stuff, but you know, if it comes down to it and I feel slighted by somebody or disrespected or something, even outside of music stuff, uh, I generally will address it just like as a person, like, hey dog, you know, I feel like you disrespected me this, you know, by doing this or that or whatever what's good, and we just chop it up, talk it out, and deal with it that way, like fucking adults. Um, but yeah, like, in, like my, most of my lyrics are punchline lyrics, so they're pretty pointed and kind of aggressive at times. So I'm not necessarily averse to like a, you know, if you, you wanna say you're better than me or whatever, we, like these other homies said, man, we can fucking cipher it up and see who's got the best bars, that's cool, but if it's on some personal shit, uh, best thing is just to address it and get it out of the way so y'all can you know, work together and get this money. Um, I think through the years, one thing that I learned is at the root of a lot of things, it's pride. Uh, but one thing I learned about pride, you know, I learned, I learned how to kill my pride, but I also learned that you need your pride at times. Um, so I think that's, that's really the root of a lot of, you know, beef and stuff. But also, you know, what I learned is if you just stay in your lane, you'll be good. You know what I'm saying? Your lane was made for you. 
you stay in your lane, there's no traffic in your lane. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I learned, I think it's kind of cool, you know, growing into a man that I am and being a father that I am. I learned a lot about myself through day to day with trials and tribulations. Um, I learned how to cut things off that I just don't need, like, and I can do it with ease now. It's a lot of things in life are either beneficial or they become a leech. So, and if you, you know, give your leech any time of the day, mm -hmm. you know, they're going to suck you dry before you know it. So if you put your energy and you put your, you know, your best foot forward to things that are, you know, positive and things that are in the right step of direction for your future and stuff, you won't ever have to deal with none of that. So that's how I look at it. Oh, they pretty much covered everything that I would have said anyway, so word up. <laughs> All right, well, we got about 10 minutes left, so I'm going to throw out one more question. Uh, this is something actually I thought of when uh, Sleep was talking. You went talked about the business and professionalism. Uh, it's something that, sad to say, a lot of times on local scenes, you know, we all know the stereotypes about how, you know, some rappers can always be the most professional. What are ways that you really hold yourself on a professional level, and what ways would you also, like, just want to see in your own local scenes just kind of elevate in the terms of the way they handle themselves? I'm gonna take this one first. Uh, one of the like main things you gotta do, man, is show up when they tell you to show up. Like, if they tell you sound checks at six o'clock, I'm there at like 5.50, 5.45, I'm fucking ready. I got my DJ there, we're ready to set up, get sound check going. Obviously, that never goes down that way. <laughs> we get there at 5.45, sound checks at six, nobody shows up till 6.30. We're sitting around, waiting, and that's just a big thing, you know? And also, like, you see a lot of casts that, like, they'll go up, they'll do, like, half a set, or, you know, not do what they're supposed to do, not be out here hustling, selling tickets, you know? Uh, personally, for me, I don't know how y'all get down, but uh, I don't like to rap over vocals, because nobody wants to see that, man. You come, man. To a, you come to a My rap man. show, they want to hear you rap. So that's another thing for me that's, like, if I see somebody rapping over vocals, for me personally, that seems unprofessional, or dudes showing up, or not even showing up to sound check at all, just show up and you know try to hop on the mic right before they're set or whatever. Um, but yeah, just like like any other business, man. Like if you're gonna be, you got a meeting, be there on time or be there early. Show up, do what you're supposed to do. Um, it's really not that hard. Uh, but yeah, there's just simple things like that, little shit. Show up on time, go do what you're supposed to do. It's actually the hardest shit in the world, M. Shaw. Why are you setting such a precedent? <laughs> what? This guy, this guy's impossible. Nah, man, um, uh, from personal experience, I can say that I'm starting to get into this world where, again, I'm the only representation of hip hop. So, you know, I'm getting booked by like 80 year old, 100,000 heirs, a millionaires because they want rap at their event type deal. So I am the representation of every single rapper in the world at that point for that 45 minutes to an hour. So if I come to the show late, if I come to the show smell like drugs, if I come to the show wasted, if I come to the show crazy looking or egotistical or whatever, that'll, that'll be the last rapper to ever get booked. So I'm, I kind of take it even a step further with my professionalism yeah, you, 5.45 ASAP. I get there at 5 o'clock. Like, I'm, I'm stalking the venue like an hour and a half early just because, like, you know what I'm saying? Um, 
It's for real. So, uh, but yeah, getting like I, I, I was blessed to do Voodoo Fest, which is uh, like a big festival back home. I got to open for Kendrick Lamar, which was incredible. So I was one of the only hip hop guys locally from New Orleans to do that show. Um, so I had to rep. I had to rep very hard. I had to represent the New Orleans scene. Um, so I got there really early, you know what I'm saying, network with everyone I possibly, you know what I mean? So that's the biggest thing. I am now the representation of an entire scene in my city when I do these things. So I take that very serious. I'm very proud of that. And I, you know, I'm very prideful with that. So I don't, I try not to play any games with that. So, you know, the best thing is, man, like, you know, again, show up on time, just be open-minded. Don't be so driven on what you got uh, in your mind that you're not willing to listen. Cause sometimes you'll get to a venue. I sometimes do shows with my tablet. I don't have a DJ all the time. So, but if my man Fly Cuts is like your fam, I'll DJ your set. Hell yeah, let's do it, bro. Let's rock. You, you willing to volunteer to do, man, let's rock. You know what I mean? It's the, no, I don't work with, you know what I mean? Just don't be hard to work with. Um, that's very, very important as it pertains to professionalism. Um, so yeah, that's just, yeah, that's how I feel about that. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I'm just piggybacking on some stuff they said. Uh, yeah, if most people who are in any type of performance or art or whatever, who is not, they're not doing that as they're living, but they want to be doing it as they're living. So it's kind of backwards to, hopefully, you show up at your day job on time that you hate, <laughs> but this thing that you love, you show up whenever, Amen. you come drunk and high as fuck. You don't do that at the job you hate, but you do it at the job you love. You disrespect the people who may have come to see you by rapping over your vocals or whatever the fuck, because to me, it's disrespectful. Because if people came to hear you rock, you shouldn't just be playing your songs and ad-libbing your songs. It's terrible, you know? Um, it's just interesting to me. And then on top of that, uh, professionally, you watch the other people performing that are performing at the show you're performing at. Because cats will come out there, rock, you know, show up right in this time, their time to rock. And then as soon as they're out, come on, crew, let's go. We out to go where? Where do these people go? You ever wonder that? Like, where the cats who don't have time to watch other people perform? What's so pressing that they got to get to? But they, you know, and, and that's the thing. And, and also, and it's one of the uh, brothers said earlier, uh, go to people, go to shows when you're not performing. A lot of times cats only show up to shows if they're rocking, that's it. And then another thing you wanna do is when you're not the show promoter, help the show promoter. Promote the show with them, retweet, uh, repost, whatever, tell people, do everything you can to assist, even if you don't live in the place you're rocking, it don't matter, put it on your page anyway, because it's just as important that people know you're doing shows that can't go than it is that people who are in the area that can go to the show, people need to know that. So it's like, it's just a bunch of things that you do, like you said, getting out there on time and all that sound checking. If you don't be there for sound check, the front of house person, which is the sound person, is not gonna give two shits about your set. I just want you to know that. 
Because it's all of a sudden you come in there, don't sound check, and then you, you bitching out the sound person like, my mic ain't loud enough. My music don't sound right. It's like you didn't sound check. You have, they have no clue what's going on with your stuff. It's like treat it, even if it's before you're getting paid, you're not getting paid or whatever, always treat it like it is your number one job and the most important possible thing is for whatever the situation is, it is the best presentation for the people that can possibly be done. And that's how you got to treat it to actually ascend to anything, you know? But that's just me. Um, yeah. Where you, are you going? All right. I think um, really it's a combination of what they said. Uh, professionalism, you know, following up, you know, with certain things. Uh, I don't like leaving, like, loose ends, you know, untied without, you know, uh, making sure everything is just, you know, done to standard. You know, being approachable, you know? Uh, people should feel like it's comfortable to talk to you, you know, whenever they're dealing with you. I just, you know, just think that should be, that it makes, you know, everything more cordial that way. You know, if I feel more comfortable talking to whoever it is I'm dealing with, you know, that's cool. So it's hard to extend a hand, you know. Never feel, I guess, you know, too too above to speak in it to anyone else or, you know, um, showing up on time. Yeah, that's another one. I'm I'm all about time because, you know, there'll be times that, I have DJs that want to, you know, make the show seem like it's about them, you know. Um, you know, also, um, yeah, man, just just being professional. That's that's about it for me. Yeah, um, to tie in to kind of what Kenny was just saying, you know, uh, being approachable, um, building rapport with people, I think, is another aspect of being professional that like gets overlooked a lot of times. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a uh, like Caesar was saying, um, there's a, sometimes a disconnect with the sound guys and yourself. Like people won't even introduce themselves to the sound guys. Don't even, you know what I mean? That's the person that's in charge of your whole shit. You know what I'm saying? So with, you, you feel me? So without, without that, without building those relationships and like, you know, um, making yourself personable, you're alienating yourself from people that could be helping you along the line. Uh, a prime example is like my man Duff at Duffy's, shout out Duffy's Tavern. If y'all haven't been there, make sure you go get a fishbowl or something, but drive safely after that though. Um, like, you know, just, be, just being able to chop it up with Duff a couple times in person and, uh, you know, finding mutual interests. Like, uh, I was having back problems one time and he recommended like a doctor to go see, you know what I'm saying? Like on some stuff outside of hip hop, building a rapport with people and showing them, you know, like I am an artist, but at the same time, I'm just a regular cat just like you. Um, I think it it creates a different level of respect and uh, personability, and you know, good, only good things can happen when you are making relationships with people. Um, I would say it comes down to some etiquette. I think, man, being not even being nice, but saying thank you and being genuine goes a long way. Right. You tell somebody thank you. You know, thank your, thank the venue owner for having you. Thank, you know, thank the sound guy. That shit goes so far. Um, and people remember things like that. Like, oh, he was nice. He was, you know, he was professional. Um, pay people in advance. When you say you're going to pay somebody, pay them in advance. Give them that cut up front. Don't show up. Oh, I'm going I'm to get it for you. Um, the golden rule, just treat somebody how you want to be treated. Um, 
every friend doesn't make a good business partner. Every business partner ain't a good friend. Um, yeah, I think I think it's pretty simple. Just you know, treat people nicely. Treat people how you want to be treated. Uh, some wise words, fellas. I think we're uh, just about out of time right now. So uh, want you guys to give it up for the uh, the fellas up here for the panel. This is the. I think that's it. That concludes the uh, Keep Your Head Up uh, panel for 2018 from Lincoln Collin, 15th year anniversary. You guys stick around and check out some of the acts tonight. This has been Keep Your Head Up, part of KZUM's Lincoln Calling podcast series, presenting the full panel discussions from the 15th annual Lincoln Calling Festival held in September of 2018. For more in this series, releasing weekly in March and April of 2019, visit kzum.org, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And watch out for Lincoln Calling 2019 performer announcements soon. The festival returns to Lincoln September 19th through the 21st. This has been a production of KZUM Studios from Community Radio on 89.3 FM in Lincoln, Nebraska and online at kzum.org.